a sneak peek at what's coming up next. If somebody asks me to do something, I always outweigh in my head, is it in my best interest to tell them to fuck themselves? Or is it in my interest to just do as they said? Yes, I'm giving in to that person, but more to the point, I'm giving in to me. I'm doing something to help me. I'm focusing on me. Even though it looks like I'm listening to this person and I'm following whatever the fuck they tell me to do, but I'm doing it for me. You started recording yeah. without saying a word. I'm, I'm glad you always check to see if I'm ready. Okay. I'm glad. It's it's so nice of you. As always, welcome to On the Spectrum Podcast. My name is Nick. Unfortunately, my name is Steven. And so it already sounds like he's in a mood. But he's not usually, usually he's not so much. But it sounds like it. So beyond that, uh, as I always do at the beginning of every episode, which at this point may be one of the factors of what's going on. But as I always say, me and Steve do not presume to be experts in anything whatsoever. We're just two human beings who happen to be on the spectrum who want to talk about our experience, our journey, our perception about things, as well as just kind of talk about stuff that may or may not be affecting the community. Uh, If you hear something that you like, you dislike, you argue with, you want to talk about further whatnot, please leave a comment on any one of the social media sites, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, uh, uh, Reddit, uh, Twitter, uh, all of them, whatever they are, there's a ton of them. Uh, write down some stuff, even put a comment on this uh, Spotify episode itself. We will get back to you. We are the ones who personally actually do talk to people on all of those things. So let us know. Yeah. So today we have a lovely subject to talk about. We're going to talk about being the outsider. Mm. We're talking about being left out, um, social situations. Sometimes maybe you leave yourself out, you know? Right. Maybe well, we're not comfortable going to parties, but being left out, being the butt of the joke, and also going to talk about uh, RSD a little bit and yes. talk about uh, PDA, and I don't mean public displays of affection. So that's what you we're had to work about. that in somewhere, huh? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I figured you would. Well, when you said PDA, I thought, like, I don't know, is a pocket device? Yeah, like, that was the first thing. First time I ever read it on a post from somebody, I immediately thought that. It was like, why are we talking about, like, blackberries and shit, right? But no, I, I figured out what it actually was. So, uh, yeah, let's start with the excluded thing because a lot of folks on the spectrum have tendency to either feel as if they're excluded, actually have been excluded from things. And and it's, it's kind of a general thing that if somebody acts slightly different than – uh, other folks, they have tendency to be excluded from stuff. Yeah. Um, and on that, I thought it might be a good idea for us to talk about that a little bit. Well, I, I can tell that you were probably rejected a lot as a child. So, <laughs> yeah, me, I'm the one. Yeah. 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 And it's true. Uh, quite often. Now, I will say when it comes to feeling excluded, some of that was my own perception. Some of it was my own perception that I was being excluded because I was able to connect with people later on in life. And they would be like, no, no, you were asked, you were invited, you could have come, but you just didn't. And that was out of my own sense of feeling as if I would be rejected or that nobody wanted me around. So that was me excluding myself from stuff. And that didn't, I'm not saying that that was predominantly, you know, it was in my own head or if somebody's listening to this and they're like, Nick, are you telling me that I'm the reason why? 
what I'm saying with it is <clears throat> there was just moments where people came back to me later on and we had conversations about me feeling that way or they wondered why I wasn't around a lot. And it was my perception that people didn't want me around. For, so I actually got along pretty well with people for the most part as a, uh, a like an acquaintance. I just didn't have a lot of very close friendships. So you felt as if there wasn't a great connection with people. Well, I, I was able to get along with people because I was able to make people laugh and I was funny. Mm-hmm. And I used humor a lot to kind of, I guess, guard myself. Yeah. That, that <clears throat> but, didn't really come to me until later on in life, actually. But I, I got along with a lot of people. I just didn't have any deeper connections or any close friendships. Or at least the belief that there wasn't a deeper connection. Not, well, I guess. But I, I didn't have a lot of close friendships. But um, I think the exclusion stuff came about more so when I got older. You know, like, like adolescence. Okay, so like, like teenage teenagers. years, um, <clears throat> when people started to form cliques, people were right. clicky, and I was I got along with different cliques and different mm-hmm. groups, but I was never really part of a lot of them, not really part of any of the groups, but they got along with me, I guess. Okay, on a surface level, right? Did Did you ever watch the movie? And it could just be me because I had a tendency to do this a lot. But did you ever watch Breakfast Club and just be like, okay, now I understand how high school works. There are groups you have to get involved <clears throat> in, 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 and so you have to have interest in something they like. Okay, cool. Let me learn a little bit about that subject so I can be in the Breakfast Club and be a part of those groups that are defined. No. Okay. So it's just me. So like anytime I watched a high school movie, and I swear to God I'm not an idiot, but I could be sometimes. I swear to God, every time I watched a high school movie in like uh, pre uh, teenage years and teenage years, maybe even younger than that, I would immediately be like, oh, okay. So there are groups you have to be a part of and and you should identify in one of those groups. Okay, cool. Now I know what I need to do. And like I actually took them as like guides of how to behave in those situations. No. I mean, I still kind of do that to this day as well, but I'll watch like a sitcom or a TV show or something like something episodic and just be like. Oh, that's how they handled that. Oh, okay. Yeah, my high school was pretty much like Greece. So. <laughs> Everybody danced every now and again. Yeah, we would just start instancing. <clears throat> we need to break out into song. I mean, there was also a part of me while growing up that <clears throat> like really badly wanted to belong, right? And to be accepted. And so like the idea of being, well, to use your Greece example, of being like a T-bird. Right. Like was really appealing to me, not to be in a gang or anything, but to be in a group where you're just accepted and you're just part of it. And and this group of people cared about you because I did always feel excluded from everything. But I don't think a lot of the exclusion that I felt was because of other people. I mean, some of it had to have been because of other people. But I think some of it also was my perception of it, too. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, I danced ballet for six years as a kid. Like, yeah, there was a group of people who accepted me. The people I danced ballet with, which were mostly females. So how does, how do these experiences tie in with RSD? So here's what I think. And again, I'm going to reiterate, we are not experts in anything. Um, Here's what I think about it. I think that RSD, um, rejection sensitive dysphoria, like that rejection sensitive part, right? I think in a lot of ways... That yes, there is real rejection that we're feeling from other people. Yes, there is real excluding that people do because we're different. And I also think that there is a level of our own 
maybe misguided belief, our own perception that we are going to be excluded. And that's where I think the rejection part comes in, the reje rejection sensitive part comes in, because I think that we build it up in our head that we're going to be rejected. And so because we build it up in our head so much <clears throat> that that person's opinion is so important that we, we kind of, we pull ourselves away and isolate a great deal because of it. So we become overwhelmed with that fear of being rejected by other people. Yeah, can it also be a result of people being constantly rejected all the time? It it can. It absolutely so, no, like, absolutely. The, if they are if there are distortions or uh -huh. cognitive distortions, we yes. want to call them. Yeah. And we're we're thinking that things are happening or people are acting a certain mm -hmm. way and that maybe we're exaggerating it in our head. Right. Can't that also be a result of all the negative experiences that you have with people yes. rejecting you or treating you poorly? So then you just assume that other people are going to do that. Right. I mean, it's a normal human thing to go, you know, if something happened to me nine out of 10 times, um, it's most likely going to happen again. I mean, it's not necessarily true, but we're going to draw that conclusion. But I also think that there are, you know, some of those nine out of 10 times that we automatically assume that we were rejected. I I think that some of those times, though, was our perception of being rejected more so than actually <clears throat> being rejected. So you're just saying it's in my head, Nick. Not always, but sometimes, yes. Sometimes. See how it is. You insensitive prick. Well, but straightforward, it's not just like being rejected like, ooh, no, you stink. I don't want to come near you. But it could also be a sense of feeling rejected because it didn't go favorably. So it could have been a neutral interaction with somebody, but we assume that they just automatically didn't like <clears> us <throat> and hated I, us I would, of who we are. I would say that could be. there's another layer there. It could the be. other layer is um, being deceived by people into yes. thinking that you're accepted. Yes, which I've – yes, I'm right there with you. Yes, so if you there. go along your, your merry life living and thinking that people are accepting you for who you are. Right. And then you discover that you secretly everyone thinks you're an asshole or secretly everyone thinks you're really weird or they try to avoid you or right. – um, they do try to exclude you, even though maybe you weren't aware of it, but they're trying to exclude you because they think you're weird or something. When you find those things out, yes, then it makes you a little bit more skeptical about people's motivations and their behavior. So um, if somebody is outright rejecting you, mm -hmm. or maybe they're not, but you think they are because of these experiences we had where not only um, have people treated you poorly in the past, but then you find out when you thought people weren't that they were or that people had certain thoughts about you you weren't aware of. Right. And it makes you kind of paranoid. Yes, and it would. Uh, I, I, I agree. Because I've been in the moments where people didn't invite me somewhere because, and as I quote, well, I didn't think you would feel comfortable with it. They were trying to save my feelings, you know, instead of just asking me if I wanted to do it. Uh, I've been told that at times. Actually, one time somebody said to me, uh, told me the reason why they all didn't invite me to go somewhere as a group together is because they were worried that I was going to be in a bad fucking mood and they didn't want me to ruin it. I mean, well, that's probably a legitimate concern. It's but. probably actually. I, By the way, I, I take a whole lot of onus on the fact that I, <clears throat> I was a super moody asshole for a really long time. I mean, I was undiagnosed bipolar for a super long time and eventually finding out autism, which does contribute to fucking, you know, social. I can see somebody who not has unchecked goodness. bipolar, you might yeah. not want to be around them if they're going through a certain... Right. Well, Swing. they didn't they didn't know that I was bipolar either, but they knew I had moments where I was depressed and I was a bit of a dick. Uh, they also knew that there were moments where I was, you know, at my the height of my hypomania and 
I always seemed like I was a narcissistic prick because it always seemed like I was saying I know best at all times, even though I knew full well I didn't know best, but I always sounded as if I was a know-it-all or I was telling everybody they were wrong all the time. And I always know that those were the times where I seemed most e egotistical when I was doing my hypomania, when I was at the height of my hypomania episodes. And then when I got depressed, you know, I was a horrible, mean asshole because I wanted everybody to leave me the fuck alone because I was fucking depressed and didn't think anybody liked me anyway. Yeah. I mean, and then later in life found out that I had bipolar and I got on meds and those two things kind of leveled out a little bit, not went away, but leveled. Plus, I got older and learned some shit. So, you know, did therapy for a while, learned some shit. Yeah. About how I react to things. So are you still in therapy now? No, I haven't been in therapy for six years. Do you think that it would help you? I think therapy would help everyone always. Okay. I think left to our own devices, I think human beings are, are going to draw the wrong conclusions at times. Um, just because we don't necessarily have all the information. I mean, we're, in my estimation, human beings are the worst at observing their own behavior. Um, I mean, well, you can't really observe your own behavior. That's what I mean by that. But we have tendency of drawing conclusions based on interactions with others <clears throat> without being able to observe our own reactions. But I think that's mostly based on feelings. What? The, the, in, the conclusions to... that you're drawing, the people draw, they, they base those conclusions off of their own feelings rather than right. objective reality because you right. can't see yeah. how you're behaving all the time. Right. They're drawing conclusions based on the information they have opposed to all the information needed. Plus, emotions are irrational to begin with. Like, emotions rarely tell us the truth in my estimation. They, they give us, you know, something of a viewpoint, but I don't believe emotions by themselves tell us truth. Yeah. I think that our emotions are valid to feel at any given time. So whatever emotion we feel is valid to feel at that time. But I don't think it gives us some insight to who we are as a human being. I don't think it tells us the reality of a situation by any means. I think we need both, you know, uh, an objective reality, uh, an objective truth, uh, uh, facts of the interaction, as well as how we feel. But I think it's on both sides of the way we feel, both people. So you need the facts of life, too. I really do. I really do. I need I need George Clooney and fucking Tootie to show up and fucking tell me the way of the life. Um, I, I so why don't, why don't you explain show, but a can't. little bit about what RSD is for people who might not know? What is RADS? It's not. <laughs> well, it really does spell out that, doesn't it? Not really. Uh, you love calling it RADS, though. I'm because RADS reminds me of playing Fallout when you get like exposed to radiation. And right. The RAD. Yeah. yeah. Rad, no, no, no. no, I'm I'm with you on it. Every time you said RADS, that's what I pictured in my head was fucking. Fallout I heard the 4. little the little noise in the Fallout yeah. games, the <laughs> the Geiger counter sound yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um <laughs> I have RADS. <laughs> um can you actually pull up the definition just so I don't fuck up the interpretation of it? Um oh excellent. Thank you. Uh, so where, where's the definition? Uh, it's the one that's highlighted. Oh, excellent. Excellent. All right. So, uh, what it says is, uh, for a definition for many artistic people, perceived rejection or failure can feel immensely, intensely, rather not immensely, intensely, emotionally painful to the point that they struggle to cope with these feelings. The phenomenon is 
known as rejection-sensitive dysphoria. Not all autistic people experience RSD, but those who do may struggle due to these feelings. And I think just about everybody struggles with re rejection, um, but I don't, I, but to this degree, I think this is identifying a much greater degree in it. Uh, something I do want to point out that this article that we were looking at says, can you go back up to the top real quick, Steve? Um, something I do want to point out is it does specify in this that autism is a neurological difference in manifesting as atypical sensory perceptions, behaviors, and social styles. Currently, there is limited peer-reviewed research about RSD and even less about its connection to autism. Most of the time, rejection-sensitive dysphoria <clears throat> that I've been reading about has more to do with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Why yeah. did I say that outright? Everybody knows what a, uh, ADHD, ADHD is, like, but I said it outright. But it seems like uh, there's a lot of anecdotal connection between the yeah. two. Yeah. And I, also a lot of people who have ADHD are also autistic. A there is people a, who have autistic yeah, there is ADHD, a correlation so between the two overlap. of those two. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure we were saying that about the you know, lack of uh, peer review evidence as of right now. I'm not saying it's not a thing and I'm not saying that there isn't a connection between it. I'm just, I just wanted to make sure we specified that there isn't a heck of a lot of well, I think evidence so to as this points out right here. Now. Yes. Um, so uh, explaining kind of the difference between people struggling with rejection versus the, the, what they're trying to indicate the difference yeah. is between what is RSD versus just somebody being upset or hurt by rejection in general. Right. So the difference here is says complications of RSD for autistic people. Most people do not enjoy uh, being rejected or criticized. However, RSD goes beyond simply disliking rejection. RSD is intensely emotional and can even be physically painful. A desire to avoid this pain and discomfort can lead to increased masking behaviors, mm -hmm. putting the autistic person at higher risk for burnout. So I think that one of the key differences is people actually uh, alter their behavior in, a, in a, sometimes a drastic way just to avoid it. You, you mean like me and you becoming funny? I guess. And using humor to make sure people might like us? Sure. Sure. Why not? Well, I mean, it says increased masking behaviors and me and you trying to learn more about how people behave so we could fit in better. But yeah. yet, but yet me and you regularly talk about burnouts and fucking meltdowns. I mean, fuck, I have meltdowns almost every fucking week. Um, and you, you talked about, um, and I used to, and I, fuck, I've told you this before and I'm sorry to cut you off. It's just, it just occurred to me too about masking behaviors. I've told you one of the primary reasons why I've continued to smoke all these years is literally so I can step away from places because I'm getting overwhelmed and I don't want to have to tell anybody, oh, I'm just getting overwhelmed. I want to step away because like that's how right. I hear it in my it's head. Good. I just, I, uh, feel, I still feel the ableist belief of that it's a weakness to need to step away because I'm overwhelmed. So yeah. I continue to smoke. Just trade meltdowns say, for lung cancer. It's fine. Believe it or not, and that sounds really horrible, but believe it or not, I'm actually more willing to have cancer than I am to admit to people that I'm sensory overload in a given moment. I need My to name step is away. Nick. I've been smoking for 35 years. I have actually been smoking for <laughs> almost 35 years. Now I smoke through a hole in my neck. <laughs> so I've been is that smoking. Is insensitive? 
No, I, I don't think so because I think you're exactly right to mock that of me because it is fucking way irrational to fucking believe that it's more okay to get fucking cancer than to admit to people that I'm emotionally and sensory overloaded. Somebody might, some people might call that toxic masculinity, Nick. I don't know if it comes down to masculinity. It might, it might, you, you might be exactly right. <clears throat> I feel because it is that idea in my head that I'm weak because I can't withstand what everybody else can withstand. And so I do view it as a weakness in myself. I don't view it as a weakness in anybody else, but I definitely view it as a weakness in myself. And that is very ableist for the first fucking time. I can actually say I can identify internalized ableism for myself. Wow. I've been reading a lot of stuff about our community because I never would have identified it as being an ableist belief in me. And it's well, also very misogynistic, not misogynistic because it doesn't represent a, a disdainer. No, I'm like saying for women. it's but toxic no, masculinity it in a way it because <clears throat> I'm saying you're, to myself, I can't you're afraid of me. showing weakness as right. a man. I'm willing to accept cancer or the idea of possibly getting cancer opposed to showing some level of perceived weakness to somebody. How God damn that. It kind of reminds me wow. of people who would go to great lengths to hide their homosexuality, like yes. closeting themselves. Yes. <clears throat> well, Excuse me. Uh, sometimes get, you know, having a uh, a fake sham of a marriage or having right. fake relationships with women so they could at least pretend to not be gay. Right. Right. Yeah. Cover up the facts so they don't have to deal with the shame of it. Or and maybe that's not the, the greatest crap. analogy, but that's the first one that came to mind. It's no, just like people. I think there's a being in the closet. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of closeting your feelings. Right. right. Oh my god. I used to. I used to avoid talking about my feelings so much. So. Um, I would do almost that abusive thing of like making the other person feel like it was their fault. And that ain't right at me. That's well, that manipulative. Yes. Well, because I was trying to avoid my own for a very, very long time. And that is shitty to do to somebody. And I, I know that now, but years ago I tried everything I possibly could to fucking avoid anybody knowing anything real about me. So I want to, I mean, I had things to cover up and try to hide. I wanted to point out the website that we were quoting from. Yes. It's called verywellmind.com. It's not, I don't know anything about this website. Right. It was just one we pulled up because there's not a lot of information out there about RSD, but a lot of people were talking about it on yes. TikTok yes. and YouTube and uh, other neurodivergent pages. Mm -hmm. And so people were talking about it and we didn't know too much about it. We read about it on, you know, multiple different places, but right. we just happened to quote this one in particular because I liked the way that it was phrased and right. the way that they the broke it down. This doesn't have any link to anything that's uh, any studies or anything. It does mention there's not a lot of research on mm -hmm. it, but um, I, it is written by a doctor. So the yeah, this so. particular article. Yeah. So or a clinical psychologist. At yes. Least. Sorry. Yeah. She has a PsyD. Um, what is that? Well, I mean, that still makes her a doctor, by the way. I don't Isn't this kind of what I was just saying? What? Uh, as in the treatment with all mental health issues is systemic issues such as racism, sexism, homophobia, and um, oppression contribute to individual experiences as individuals of non-men <clears throat> experience RSD more commonly and intensely compared to non-marginalized groups. As such, RSD must be addressed both individual and on a societal level by addressing this yeah. system. Yes, agreed. Yes, and that is kind of what you were talking about a bit. Yes. Oh, uh, just so anybody who's listening goes, why in the fuck is he reading this out loud but not really? I have a hard time without reading out loud. 
I would have to read it multiple times over to really understand it. But if I read it out loud and I can hear my voice say it or hear Steve say it, I can actually interpret and comprehend it a lot better. So this here says, how can autistic people cope with RSD? But I think it's interesting because some of the things that they're talking about is how other people can react and respond to you in that situation. Right. It's like if you have a partner, you know, asking them, if you're the per person who's autistic, communicating how you're feeling, but also mm -hmm. the other person like trying to understand how you feel. Right. But I would think too, um, and obviously out of the two of us, I'm, I don't have any experience when it comes to like uh, therapy or counseling right. or any of that crap. But <clears throat> um, thanks for demeaning that. <laughs> well, I'm just saying in general, because when we were talking to somebody the other day about different types of, of, of therapies yeah. and different types of yeah. ways to, to address people's problems, right. there's all Issues. different types of methods out there, right? Right. But um, we had talked before about CBT because that's one mm -hmm. of the only ones I know anything about. Right. I would think that that might actually help with these types of thoughts because if you're thinking those things, then because CBT focuses on like if you're mm -hmm. having a certain thought pattern or thinking about right. certain things, you try to do something in place of that or replace it with something or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you're feeling this, you do this. Right. Essentially. Right. Yes. That is, that is the simplest way to explain that. Yes. So I'm feeling X. So I'm having these RSD type feelings mm -hmm. and I recognize I'm having them. Mm -hmm. Then I do this. Right. Which might include like writing down how you're feeling or mm -hmm. maybe talking to your partner about it or something. Right. But those types of things might be helpful if you're feeling that way. Yeah, exactly. Cause it helps us, it helps us dissuade an irrational thought. It helps us dissuade something that is based more on fear, more so than the reality at hand. Because we might hear a rejection from somebody, um, but it might not actually be a rejection, but we might hear it that way from them. And for us to stop and go, hey, are you saying I'm a bad person? And for them to go, no, 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 I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I don't want to hang out today. Oh, by the way, for people who don't know, CBT means cognitive behavioral therapy, which yeah. is which most a people common. Do, right, you it's should a, explain it. It's a common yeah. uh, type of therapy pro yeah. uh, approach. Um, it also <clears throat> nowadays it has tendency to encapsulate a fuck ton of other types of therapies under the umbrella of CBT. In fact, most of them fall under CBT as an umbrella name. Uh, but there are other types that are yeah, inside of it. My simple way of explaining it was just like you X thought or belief yeah. or feeling, you interject something mm -hmm. or replace it with something. So yes, pretty much. That's my layman's way of right. describing it, the layman's term. Well, no, no, no. I mean, essentially how it works <clears throat> is like something happens, we have a thought and we have a behavior based on that thought. Uh, or something to that effect, uh, how they all kind of interact with each other. Yeah, Thoughts, well, I imagine it would help you think through it. Yes, so and that's you, a way to do it. Um, if you're feeling this type of way, you're, right. you're dealing with rejection, and maybe you start to become aware, maybe I'm overreacting about this, or maybe I'm blowing yes. up a little bit more than I should. Right. If you sit down, let's, and your, your method is, I'm going to write about it. Mm -hmm. You write a journal entry, and you work through the, your thought process. It helps you to realize that you... Maybe it's not as bad as you thought it was right? because you're writing it out and it gives you a chance to think through it rather right. than just your gut reaction. It allows you to get out of your head and not have the emotional state that you're feeling override your logical mind yeah. or your rational mind. I don't like calling it a logical mind. <clears throat> Mostly because I believe human beings cannot be completely logical and yet everybody loves to say logical. Well, let's think about this logically. Fuck you, you're human. You're automatically going to involve fucking emotion into it. Never. Fuck you, data. <laughs> I would love to be able to process emotion. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm not equipped to handle that. 
you know, I used to identify with characters like that and shit, but like eventually, I don't know. I don't know, and I, I don't even like saying it this way, but it's the only way I'm thinking about it. But, like, eventually <clears throat> I started to accept my bipolar more, and I'm like, nope, fuck, I got a fuck ton of emotion. In no, me. so I the reason I would connect with characters like Data is not because he doesn't have emotions. It was right. because he had trouble understanding other people's emotions. Yes. I mean, that's ultimately... Because I did I have feelings myself, emotions. but one, it was hard for me to express my feelings, mm -hmm. which would make, like, Data was trying very hard in, you know, Next Generation to understand human emotions but also how to express how his own feelings because he didn't have feelings right. in the traditional sense. Right. But he still had like fondness for people and connections with people, but he didn't have the feelings in the same way that other people would have them. Right. Um, but so I related to that because for me, it was hard to express my feelings mm -hmm. or still is. And it was hard for me back then to understand other people's feelings, yes. which I'm better at now, but better back then when I related to the character, I also didn't know I was autistic at the time, but right. I just connected with the character. I'm like, oh, he's he's having right. trouble understanding people too. Yeah. And he's a fucking android. Right, so. right. Um, I I will say that, <clears throat> and I know we've talked about representation before, and I don't want to get into heavy discussion Are you trying to say Data's autistic? No, no, no. <laughs> what, I, what I'm trying to say by it is like, you actually, to me, give a great example of what other people can do when it comes to connecting with stuff, because a lot of the times when I hear people talk about representation and I, and I believe representation is important, but a lot of the times when I hear them say it, I hear them say, I need to see, see X of a character that looks like me. So I can identify something that looks like me. Right. When I've always done exactly the way you just described it is I look more at the way the person's behaving or being treated by others. Yeah. And I can identify with that character regardless of what the character looks like. Yeah. I mean, I I've, mean I've had female characters that I've connected right. with or like characters who have di different ethnic backgrounds right. and maybe the character's an alien. They're not even fucking human. It right. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the physical characteristics yeah. of the person necessarily. Sometimes right. the physical characteristics play a role. Kind of um, like I'm not a person of color, but right. if I was, I might be able to connect with a character who was uh, black more easily because yeah. they're more like me in that way. Or like, let's say for me, <clears throat> um, I'm trying to think of a good example for me physically, but let's say, you know, I'm not I'm not very tall. I'm like average height. Mm -hmm. Right. It, but if I see a guy in a role who is more my size, right. I might connect a little bit with that character because of that physical characteristic versus mm -hmm. a guy who's six, six and, you know, tall, skinny, handsome guy. Yeah. Or tall, muscular, handsome guy versus seeing a guy like more my more like me yeah. physically. Yeah. So I might be able to connect to the character that way. But as far as the connecting with their personality or connecting with the character on a more emotional level, then yeah. I think it's more about the personality, but it doesn't mean the physical stuff isn't important at all. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm off <clears throat> base. Maybe I'm delusional in my thinking. Maybe I'm just not seeing the reality to it because I'm a white male and I've always seen a lot of white male characters. Maybe I, I, I don't necessarily know this that well. And that's probably a true statement. I mean, that probably is true. I can watch movies um, and I'm not going to name any specific movies that I've had this moment with, but it, there are movies where the cast doesn't look nothing like me in any of the characteristics whatsoever, but there are things about them and their portrayal that I connected with a great deal. Listen, it's okay. You can tell everyone it's Boys in the Hood. No, it's not. I was kidding. No, it's not. 
there are characters in that that By I can way, it's a good movie. with. <laughs> it, oh, it's a wonderful movie. I love it. Um, actually, I think one of the actors, I just thought it'd be funny to me in my head if you were like really connected with one of the characters in Boys in the Hood. Well, well, actually, one of the I think one of the actors that's in Boys in the Hood, and I could be totally wrong, is also in one of the movies that I actually identify with a great deal. Have you ever seen the movie The Best Man? Uh, I might have. I don't know. I'm not good when it comes to movies. Yeah, yeah. So Tay Diggs is in that. Uh, Morris Chestnut, uh, Terrence Howard, and I always forget this other guy's name, even though he's the guy I identify the most with character-wise in it. And everything the dude does, uh, movie and character-wise. Hold on. Hold on. Harold, and I'm going to mispronounce <clears> the <throat> shit out of this name, Harold Perinu, I think is. How do you pronounce that, Steve? I don't know, Paranew? Yeah, I'm going to go with that. But I love this dude as an actor. I think he's wicked good because he was also the narrator in Oz. And if you've never seen Oz, it's about a prison. Awesome. But he's in the Best Man series. Uh, he was in both the movies and now the TV. I think he's still in the TV show too. Never um, heard of this series. But it's, I really enjoy these movies and I really connect with Harold's character in it. Um, he's a cool guy. Like, I think he's an awesome guy. I mean, he's in the good doctor. Yeah, dude. He's done an amazing amount of shit. Like he's been in a super amount of stuff, but like his character, Tate Diggs character being the writer who puts out the book that actually causes a lot of issues in the movie. But the two of their characters identify with a great deal. No, I am not an African-American male. No, I'm not. Uh, uh, I've never lived these people's lives, but I just connect with those characters so much. Um, and actually, every character Her- Harold has ever played, um, and I'm ca- calling him by his first name as if I know the guy, although I would love to meet the guy. Yeah, he was in Matrix, too. Um, like, I love watching this dude act. There is something so real about his emotional reactions and expressions on his face that is just so amazing to me. Oh, yeah, he was also in Romeo and Juliet. He played Mercutio, which, by the way, is my favorite favorite version of that character because that the the monologue that he talks about queen mab i think he did an amazing amazing job at sorry i'm geeking the shit out about this actor but i really dig this guy as an actor um if i if i could be an actor half as good as him i would be totally happy with it like his career is amazing too he's been acting for a super long period of time uh god it has to be 35 years now that he's been acting, if not maybe a little longer than that. But he's just so good. Um, All right, so now I know who Nick's celebrity crush is. One of them, yes. Yeah, cool-ass guy. I'd love to meet the dude. Uh, same thing with Tay Diggs, actually, too. Like, 90% of the characters I've ever seen Tay Diggs do, I really like his approach to creating a character and, and articulating it. But anyway, back to that movie. So, like, I actually had this thought about it the other day when I was talking to... I think I was talking to Ian and Allison about representation. I think it was. We were, we were having that conversation. And, and I always end up bringing up this movie because like all four of those guys in the movie, all four of those actors and their characters, there are parts of each one of them I can identify with as behaviors and reactions that I would have in given moments, as well as like how they emotionally, you know, respond to things. Um, I can identify a great deal in that. And like, I really like watching that movie a great deal because I connect so well, in my opinion. Granted, it is for African-American males uh, talking at their experiences in the world itself. And so, but I connect with them more so than I connect with like the, the there's a movie, uh, what is it called? Four Brothers or something. And it's uh, uh, just four friends, four males. But I connect far better with uh, uh, Best Man. Yeah. Like, I don't know. 
Um, I just always kind of have. I'm not 100% sure why that is that I feel as if I can, but... Uh, so would it, would it be fair to say that it. if you were to meet Harold, you might have a public display of affection? I I think uh, he would be a human being that... Because usually I fucking hate hugging people unless I'm, uh, unless I'm fucking dating him or some shit. But if he's a dude, I'd just be like, oh my God! And I would fucking crush this shit over... I'm not saying in a weird way, but it's probably a weird fucking way to say it. But like, I really dig the guys an actor. I was trying like, to use I, that as a weird transition into talking about PDA. PDA, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pathological. Because this avoidance. was something that you wanted to talk about that I didn't really know anything about. I would. Well, you didn't know much about rejection sensitivity either. Because it's made up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm saying it's made up because there's not a lot of research for it. But, but that doesn't make it it's, necessarily no, no, made up. I'm kidding. Well, it describes a phenomenon that people are experiencing. So a lot of the stuff right. that a lot of the information on it right now is anecdotal it, because yeah, it's based best. on people's yeah. experience. Right. And a lot of the way that we react as people who are uh, autistic or ADHD right. is sometimes a little bit more extreme or intense. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so, just about everything we experience is probably far more intense than and uh, as somebody people. who supposedly has both. Um, um, I can definitely say that a lot of the things that we were reading about okay. RSD yeah. makes sense to me. I right. relate to it. Right. But I'm just forever a skeptic about yeah. everything. And honestly, in a lot of ways, you should be because when it comes to psych stuff, I lend a whole lot more credence to it up front. And you're far more skeptical about it. And I actually appreciate that because it forces me to have to think about it. Yeah. Like how much validity is there in this really? How how much is this? It just dates something back to do? my teenage years when I used to argue with my psychologist. I went to see a, a clinical psychologist and I went to see a psychiatrist who mm -hmm. tried to give me medication for bipolar. I still think you had the worst. Even though you told me that technically ever. I was not supposed to be diagnosed as bipolar as a teenager. Because we really aren't supposed to be doing, you know, diagnosing kids with that. I mean, there are some people who think we should be able to. Um, I also I was, and, it, and it makes sense to me that possibly, but there are other people in, uh, in well, the nobody, world who don't think you should be able to diagnose bipolar in children. Nobody noticed the autism, but I was diagnosed with ADD at the time because that's what it's called yeah. and manic depressive. And they, but anyway, the point was is that I was very skeptical mm -hmm. of my psychologist. Well, you should be. I think you had a fucking horrible psychologist. And I was like, listen, I know what you're trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> I was such an I was 16 years old. I was such an asshole. Mm -hmm. 15, 16 years old. I went in there and I'm like, listen. I know you're asking me these questions. You're trying to figure out what's going on with me. Mm -hmm. I get it. But don't act like you care about me. You don't. Okay? I know you're here to make money. Wait. Wait. Right there, though. How do you know he doesn't care? I mean, he went into a line of work all about helping people he doesn't know me. get along in life. You care about somebody you don't know. I'm like, some, some no, kid he's not, talking to. Well, hold on. That's not true. People, There are people in this world who give a shit about all living human beings. I'm just saying I'm very skeptical of people who pretend to show interest in me. How do you know he was pretending? Maybe he gave a it's shit. It's your job to show interest in me and no, ask me questions. His, no, his job is to talk to you. He doesn't actually have to give a shit about you But I, do I can understand why a lot of my behaviors at the time, why someone mm -hmm. would think that I was manic depressive, whether I, I am or was or weren't, whatever. But I could see why based on my behavior right. because of the things that I did and the way that I acted. Yeah. And me going through long bouts of up and down all the right. time. So I I still think you had a fucking shitty fucking therapist. Um, I really do. Uh, based on just stuff you've told I was me also about a it. huge dick to him and the psychiatrist. But that's part of why I think he was kind of a shitty 
fucking therapist because even if your patient is being a dick to you, like, I wasn't like that as an mean opportunity to him. To I was just cynical. Right, right. Like were, I wasn't being an asshole you were to him up resistance, right? Hesitation. I was cynical. I didn't believe anything he was saying. I thought he was full mm -hmm. of shit. Yeah. Uh, I also went to a counselor or therapist for um, anger management. Yeah. Because when I was in middle school, I used to get into a lot of fights, mm -hmm. which I don't think said anything about me being an aggressive person because I'm not. It right. was more so people used to attack me quite a bit because I was a new kid. Right. I transferred schools. You know how it is. You're in middle school. If you transfer to a new school and you're the new kid, everyone picks on you. Yes. So I used to lash out when people would give me shit. I would mm -hmm. give them shit back. And then it used to lead into a lot of fights because somebody would make fun of me and I would be able to make fun of them 10 times better because I'm, mm -hmm. let's face it, I'm much better at insulting people, mm. much better at making fun of them and hitting them where it hurts and making them. Yeah, yeah. So I would piss people off because they would say shit to me to try to upset me and I would get mad. And then I would say something that would really hurt their feelings. And yes. then they would come up after class and try to punch me in the face. So You would dig deep. Right. So then I yeah. used to get into a lot of fights. And then they made me go to anger management because I got into so many fights. But I'm like, listen, I'm not the one starting these things. People right. are starting fights with me because they're picking on me. And then when I defend myself, they get upset mm -hmm. because they're I'm mad that I'm they would make fun of me and pe few people would laugh. And then I would make fun of them. And then the whole class would fucking laugh at them mm -hmm. because mine was way funnier. And they would feel embarrassed as shit. So they tried to beat the shit out of me. Eventually they stopped picking on me because they realized that I was better at it. Yes. So. Um, but yeah, I, they made me go to anger management therapy and I was kind of a cynical asshole there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had to go to therapy when my parents got divorced. It's part of the divorce process. They forced the yep. kids to go to, um, some type of therapy mm -hmm. for like separation or some shit. That, that but, was one of the reasons I thought I was going to therapy when I was a teenager. Was well, so what was funny is I actually, my parents actually have the papers for this somewhere because mm -hmm. I have a folder somewhere with papers from when I was in middle school and high school. I yeah. have like a, a just shit that I never threw out. Yeah. I don't know where it is. I'd have to go look for it. But um, my parents separated when I was like 10, mm -hmm. but they didn't actually get divorced until I was like, I want to say I was 14. Mm -hmm. So they'd already been separated for like four or five years before we got uh, before they actually got divorced legally. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to the therapy, the whole the whole class, the, the way that well, it was a group therapy thing. But the way the group therapy is uh, set up or counseling, whatever the fuck it is, yeah, yeah. it was a group. Um, the way it's set up, they're treating the kids as though this is new or as if it's a fresh scar for them. Right. But for right. me, I'm new like trauma. This, this yeah. isn't this is this is old news to me. Right. So the whole time I didn't take any of it seriously. And of course, I was a teenager and I was a little dickhead at the time. So I just made a joke of the whole class. So yeah. instead of doing all the exercises they wanted me to do seriously, I mm -hmm. turned it into jokes. Like they had <laughs> they had these coloring activities and there's a guy and he has his hand out like this. Mm -hmm. And it looks like he's yelling or something. And his, but his hand's down towards his waist. And there's a picture of like a woman, presumably his wife, and like a little kid standing next to it. And it's like they want you to fill in the speech bubble as to what he's saying. And I understand the point of the exercise, but I put in like, would you look at this belt? I can't believe I, I wore this with these pants or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's what you wrote. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's it. That's what you wrote. Because his hand was near yeah, his yeah, waist. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, so like, that's what you wrote. Yeah. And then I had the wife reply back and be like, I can't be with a man with a, such a horrible sense of style or something uh -huh. like that. <laughs> yeah, that's what you wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's no way you were like, look at this. Do you think it's good enough? And she's like, nope, no, too small. I didn't write anything like that. Yeah, okay. He's pointing at his belt. Yeah, that's uh, but it. I have 
I have these papers somewhere because mm-hmm. um, for some reason wait, I, you still have them. I saved them because I thought it was funny. All the all or the because you're a hoarder. All of the work they made us do in that yeah. therapy class. Yeah. It was a lot of it was like filling in bubbles and talking about our feelings. Right. And, but I made a joke out of everything. Well, of course you did, dude. Didn't we just talk about before? Possibly the reason why me and you got into doing comedy as much and and use that yeah. as a way to deflect from the way we actually well, felt. Yes, right so I mean, there was probably emotional. There was some trauma when my parents split, but well, like that was four or five years beforehand. So like right. at that point, I was like, maybe there was still some feelings for me to work through, possibly, but maybe. I didn't care at that point. No, I mean, you were also a teenager too. Yeah, which also leads when I was ten years old, yeah, I was really upset about them yeah. splitting up. But like that time, I was fourteen. I was like, I was used to it, right? You know, I was right. seeing my dad on the weekends, right. spending time with my mom during the week. And they made us go to this therapy. And like I said, it seemed like the therapy was aimed towards people who this was something new. Right. And like, so what do you do for the kids whose parents have been separated for a long time? They go into this. Well, just like anything, if you carry it with you long enough, people just kind of go, meh. Well, it's court ordered anyway. So it's not like we didn't, it was the court forces the kids to go through it as far as what I understand. Oh, no, no, I never got forced to. Oh, well, my mom just thought it was a good idea. To maybe this is a Massachusetts thing. She thought I was having issues with it. Well, it could be a Massachusetts yeah, thing or be. maybe it's up to the judge's discretion. I it could know. be. I mean, I grew up in Connecticut, so I don't All know. All I know is that in our case, it was a court order. Yeah. So the judge uh, made my sister and I go into this therapy uh, Yeah. Okay. as part of the divorce proceedings yeah. as family court. I don't know anything about family court, but yet. I would I would assume it's either maybe standard practice in Massachusetts, right. either part of the, the laws. Or it's just standard practice, or maybe it's up to the judge's discretion. But right. either way, the judge made us do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that actually, being a teenager and your reaction to that kind of does lead into the other thing, PDA, pathological demand avoidance, or the way I just read it uh, when we were looking it up before the episode, extreme demand avoidance. Pathological. Uh, pathological demand avoidance. Public displays uh, of affection. Yes, that's that's it. Um, what I will say on it is it sounds very similar to that because what I've read thus far, and again, this is another thing that has some, a lot of anecdotal story behind it. Um, basically when I say anecdotal, I'm not dismissing it by the way, we're just saying that a bunch of people are talking about it, you know, and giving their experience of for what they feel it is. Um, so when it comes to pathological demand avoidance, from what I understand about it is it's basically people avoiding when people or their own expectation of having a demand put on them. Uh, meaning like I have to X that, that feeling of I have to do something and people just immediately trying to push away from it, or at least from what I understand. But from, from what I, well, so after I, I looked into it after yeah. you brought it up to me, cause you mm-hmm. said that I have a lot of these traits according it, to it, you. It seems like, it. um, but uh, most again, of the, most of the information yeah. about it, is geared towards kids. Right. Like Both when you of look these at, are mostly geared towards kids. If you look at when you read it, it's like they, they, the the questionnaires are, are mm-hmm. geared towards kids. Yes. The research is geared towards kids. Everything is about like kids exhibiting these symptoms. Right. But here's the thing. If something doesn't get addressed in childhood, it doesn't go away. Well, also, like, I would like it's probably much more intense in the child because I know when I was looking be. up. Yeah. Why don't you explain what someone with or a child with PDA would would act like or what they would do because somebody listening might not know what the hell we're talking about. What for PDA? Yeah. Can you give me a definition? I'll just read the damn thing. No, I'm not asking oh. for a definition. I'm asking for examples of behavior. I'm um, saying what they would do. So because for me, if you were, if I was listening right yeah, now, yeah. 
and you just come with the definition, well, what does that actually mean? Okay. Like, I understand that what your definition is, but I need real life examples. Yeah, yeah. well, that's what I was asking for the definition so I could read it and then give you a def- uh, an example. But here, here, let me, let me try my best to do it. And if I misinterpret this, fuck it, I'm not an expert. So uh, what this would look like in a kid is what most people would consider normal child behavior defiant okay yeah being defiant like odd would be like the american diagnostic version of this and shit okay oppositional defiance disorder right we identify that when a kid's just like fuck you too often to something we we fucking put a label on it that's what this seems like to me a great deal is is basically when you're putting too many demands or when you're putting demands on somebody or saying they have to do something and they just go, mm, fuck it. And but the difference is with this is it's because of autism rather yes. than what other reasons kids might be defiant. Right. <clears throat> this is because of Which their is autism. Why it's pathological. So it's uh, built in process to avoid. Kids who are autistic or people who are on the spectrum in general yeah. are typically inflexible. In their behavior, right? They mm. have patterns. They have certain things they like to do. They like to yes. uh, they like to stim. They like to script. They like to do right. certain things. And if you interrupt what it is they're mm. doing, uh, or ask them to do something that they don't want to do at the time, it's difficult for them to switch, right? right? Yes. So it's why they they may be more defiant and say like "fuck you," I don't want to do that because right. Well, like as as adults, uh, uh, from what I understand, uh, this represents kind of like. Uh, when people avoid doing laundry, getting their oil changed, stuff like that, things that are beneficial to them, but because they feel like they have to. So it's a self-imposed demand. Yeah. And I can relate to this a great, great deal because I've always been referred to as being lazy, procrastinate, all of those kind of things. And it might look like that from an outside perspective, but in a whole lot of ways, I literally forget to do some of this crap. And I, I think the reason why I forget to do a lot of this stuff, even when I have an alarm go off and I set an alarm on my phone that says, hey, dude, do laundry, I'll still forget because I'll immediately hit the button to turn off the alarm, set down my phone, and it just completely so what, what is the and – I, And I think some of it has to do with because of that sensation, that feeling, that thought process of, of I have to do it. Now, you don't like obligations? No, I don't – I have a great deal of resistance when somebody says you have to like, yeah. and that's as far it goes. Like if somebody says you have to dress a certain way, I am the, my first reaction is fuck you. I don't have to do shit. Like that's my first thought process. That's my emotional reaction to it. And it's kind of funny. Cause when I did that assessment for, for work, yeah, they gave me that person. It's basically like a personality yeah. test, but yeah, that's, it's that's personality it test based towards work. What, I forget what, what, what the style is that I took, but it's a uh, disc. If I remember, yeah, it's correctly. like a disc assessment. Yeah. But when they, they I had like a 30 or 40 page thing describing all of my. <laughs> yeah, you read some of it too. But yeah. it was funny because one of the things they pointed out in there is mm-hmm. that uh, if you're going to question me. Yes. Or you're going to um, undermine or you're going to bring a problem to me. Mm-hmm. If you're going to question me, you have to have stuff to bag it up. Yes, yes, yes. So you can't just come to me and say, oh, you can't do this or I don't want you to do this. You have to give me a good reason. Right. So basically bring. you have to prove – People have to prove to you why you should listen to them. Yeah. I agree and I'm the same way. Um, here's one thing that I will say um, that I have done in my life that I feel has helped me a great deal with this. And it was to come to an understanding that there is only a couple things in life we actually have to do. 
coming to this understanding that we only have to, and I know there's a couple more than what I'm about to say. I've had a hundred people tell me, yeah, it's breathe, sleep, and shit. And that's it. Yes, there are other fucking things, right? Uh, I always used to say eat, sleep, and shit is all you got to fucking do because, and I always rationalize it this way. Whether you put food in your mouth to eat or not, your body will eat itself to fucking keep it alive, right? So you can't avoid eating and drinking something. Your body's going to deteriorate its fucking self to keep it alive. Sleep. Try to avoid sleep. You will eventually go to sleep, whether you want to or not. Eventually you will, right? Maybe it's a week and a half later and you've already lost your mind and fucking hallucinate, but your body will still shut down and you will fucking sleep, right? Uh, And then shitting. Go ahead, try to avoid fucking, you know, eliminating waste from your body. Your body will fucking do it one way or the other, it, regardless of what you want out of That's it. That's why right? I wear a diaper. That's right. <laughs> so in my estimation, outside of that, there is nothing else in life you have to do. Some people say you have to pay taxes, you have to pay your rent, you have to uh, go to work. No. no, you don't. You don't have to do anything you as long as any- you're prepared to deal with the consequences right. of not doing it. That's the other side of this is when I came to that understanding that everything is my choice. Thank you, Dr. Glasser. Um, when <clears throat> you look at things more of the sense of I have a choice in the matter, I have a choice in everything I do, then you get to decide for you what is in your best interest. In that if somebody asks me to do something, I always outweigh in my head, is it in my best interest to tell them to fuck themselves? Or is it in my interest to just do as they said? Yes, I'm giving in to that person, but more to the point, I'm giving in to me. I'm doing something to help me. I'm focusing on me. Even though it looks like I'm listening to this person and I'm following whatever the fuck they tell me to do, but I'm doing it for me. And maybe that's something <clears> that <throat> everybody does up front, and it took me a while to come to that understanding But I had to change, I had to reframe, I had to, you know, alter the way in which I was perceiving the way they were asking me to do it. And things got not only easier for me, because there was less arguments and less people thinking I was just a defiant cunt, asshole. Um, It kind of came to a point where it got easier for me to evaluate for me that I was doing well in life, that I was doing better at things in my life because I was no longer saying fuck you up front and I was looking at it more of how does this benefit me? Well, so I've always been very skeptical of authority figures, you know. Oh, yes. um, I was defiant with my psychiatrist, like I mentioned, my psychologist. Mm -hmm. I was defiant of them because they were authority figures. I was defiant of my principal, my Mm -hmm. teachers. And my part of my problem was, yes, maybe uh, I have a problem with Government, I have a problem with authority authority in general. Even perceived authority, by the way. And I've got a story to tell. I also have, like, there are are a lot of things that have contributed to Mm -hmm. these feelings that I have because I've been so often let down by people. Yes. In positions of power and positions of authority. So who have reinforced, they've reinforced my my skepticism and my cynical thoughts. Because I have people, let's say I work for a company and I've had bosses Right. Who I've tried to go along with what they want. Mm-hmm. I've tried to, but then like at some point if I if because it usually doesn't happen with me right away sometimes, especially right. if I like the boss or I like the person, I'll listen yeah, yeah. to what they're saying. But at some point or another, if I come to a conclusion and I'm like, wait a minute, we're like struggling in this area, we're struggling, right. or this is the goal right. the company has. And then I realize, okay, I think through a process and I figure out maybe we should be doing this. Well, right. one of two things happen. A lot of times I've worked for bosses that will just understand 
that I have a good idea mm-hmm. and we'll try it. Yeah. And then I have bosses who will fight me every step of the way, even though right. I'm trying to present my thoughts to them. Yeah, okay. And I get frustrated with <clears throat> being right, but not being listened to. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, because if I'm right, I'm right. Then a lot of times, a lot of times they'll end up doing what I said anyway. Sure. Maybe even not giving me credit for it, even though they use my right, idea. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a or, issue, I think. Um, you know, it, they, it's once I left the company already mm-hmm. and then I find out that they're fucking using all the ideas that I had or I had presented like this is an idea we have. This is how we can do it because it's not just about presenting the idea, but it's also the how, like how yeah, are we going to how it? we yeah, how we implement. So here's an idea and here's how to do it. Right. Because that's another thing I learned over over time was it's not just enough to have the idea. You have to have a practical way of doing it or a way that it's yeah. feasible to do it. You got to have a way to set it up. <clears throat> so I get frustrated with that stuff dealing with um, Can I people you? who are incompetent. At least yeah. in, to me, I feel like they're incompetent. <laughs> or people who are, I feel, I feel, okay, I'm yes. just talking feelings yes, here. Yes, yes, yes. I feel like they're fucking morons. Yes. And we're talking feelings, and I appreciate the fact that you specified it. Let me ask you a question on this, though. Okay. Because I, <clears> I started <throat> to get this thought when you were uh, describing all of this. Could this also be a self-justifying belief because you're already skeptical up front. You already lump all bosses together. Uh, you already lump all authority or perceived authority figures together, right? And, and it's kind of that generalization about bosses, right? Could it be self-justifying that you automatically go? I think it's a mix of boss. both. I think it's and <clears throat> part of it is – bring this up. Part of it is I have a bias or I have a um, a natural inclination to to be skeptical or to, to not like right. people in authority. But at the same time, there's also a lot of incompetent people in positions of power. There's also a lot of people. In there's position- a lot of incompetent people, period. That's can right. We, can we be can we be honest <clears throat> about that? It's not just right. In but power. we're not talking about people in general. We're talking about people in power. Yeah, but that those are human beings that are there. So no shit. If in the general populace, people are fucking stupid. And it's also it's not just incompetent. Well, it's not just incompetent. It's also how they're incompetent. Uh, sometimes and okay. also some of the ethical concerns like I get agreed <clears throat> frustrated with a lot of um, people in high positions of power mm-hmm. in in companies I worked for, or even people in government who yeah. do unethical shit. And because I have, that's something that's important to me is trying to be honest and ethical. Right. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect and I always make the right choices, but I yeah. try to take that try. Into consideration. Yeah, we, we try. But I see people that I work for, yeah, like flat out just disregard that stuff on mm-hmm. purpose. Well, I got you. They don't give a shit. It, they don't care who they hurt in the process. Or at least it seems like they don't care who no, they, they hurt. They told me, I don't okay. care. Fuck them. Yeah, 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 yeah. That doesn't mean they actually don't care. That That's just what they're saying. Um, I, I have this whole thing of like, w- you can believe when somebody says something, you can believe mostly that they're telling the truth, but there's always more to it. I, I always believe that. The reason why I'm asking that about about that that self-justifying thing. And here's here's my story, because I said before I got a little bit of a story, okay? So in the comedy group that we're in, the improv <clears> group that we're in, um, I'm the host of, of our improv show itself. And a lot of the times I have tendency to, and I'm going to air quote this shit, quote unquote, lead um, rehearsals and the group, okay? Uh, it kind of just defaulted to me in such a way, whatnot. But me and Steve have had a bit of tension at times. And you've even expressed that you felt as if either it was, I was acting like, or you felt like I was acting like, or you felt as if I was the boss. 
And you defined me that way as boss, right? And we talked about it and we good. It's, I am not, and we've talked about that. Like I'm not anybody's boss in that way. Like even when I'm at my job and I'm a clinical supervisor, like I'm not anybody's boss, right? I'm just there to help maintain and delegate certain things and kind of keep order in certain ways. My, I'm not a boss, right? And, but it was that kind of push from you of being a boss when you identified me that way. Could this have something to do with that? That, that feeling of authority and the way you already identify authority and your skepticalness of authority figures and your experiences with previous bosses, could that be why there was I a think bit of tension? I think he probably stands back further than that too, hold, but... Hold, 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 hold <clears throat> on, dude. I got to fucking do this. Holy shit. I'm so sorry. I'm so... <sighs> you need to keep the mic a little closer to your face too. I, well, it doesn't I have was, to be like right in your mouth. Yeah, but, but I was like, hearing myself just fine. There's a few times where you've been sounding like it. It's okay. I'm I can not, fix no, some no, of no, it. No, that's all right. Because I had to fix this because it, the entire fucking time I've been like preoccupied because it wasn't right on the edge. It doesn't matter. Okay? Anyway, the, yeah, I can yeah, fix sorry. some of the levels in post. But yeah, anyway. Sorry. Yeah. Um, sorry, everybody. I think it devils. It, it probably stems back further than that. But these are things that I haven't thought about in, you know, probably since I was a teenager. Yeah. But I think. Uh, I also had a lot of bad experiences going back to even elementary school Okay, with teachers and principals yeah, yeah. and other people who are authority figures at the right. time. And I always felt like a lot of things were unfair, unjustified, mm -hmm. and I was treated poorly in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I didn't fully understand the reasons for it at the time, obviously, because I was a little kid, but right. <clears throat> it's probably why I have some of this skepticism is because I've met a lot of people who seemed like they shouldn't be doing what they were doing. And <clears throat> even being an, like an eight-year-old kid, I felt like sometimes that I knew better than what the authority figures were, were doing. So did I. I felt that way too. Let me ask you a question on that because the two – you're right. I had to get further away from the mic. Um, me and you are – I can say this in negative terminology, and I'm trying my best to not use negative terms when I say this. Uh, me and you are really good at analyzing, evaluating, and providing constructive feedback to people in negative ways of saying it. We seem kind of judgy and critical of other people's behavior a lot. It can be. Could, but could that be the same thing? It's that you're easy for me right to there? pick out flaws in things, and it's not like I do it on purpose. But yeah, yeah, I, if I don't I, either, but... If I see something and I see a project, and let's say 70% right. of it is good. Yeah. The 70%, I'm like, okay, that's fine. But then I focus on the 20, 30% because that's what's going to ruin it. Right. So Or potentially. And I don't mean to be negative. I don't want to say to somebody, well, your idea is 70% good and the rest is shit. But it's if you don't fix the, the 20% or the 30%, then that 70% doesn't matter. Potentially. Well, I'm, I'm simplifying things. I right. know you are. I know you are. I'm just taking into account that that other 30% I'm trying to oversimplify it. But I'm saying you focus on like the the areas of concern because it right. it sticks out to me like a like a sore thumb or like a, right. it's, yeah those deficiencies. It's kind of like when will. we were talking in Temple and she mentioned like her visual mind the way mm -hmm. she thinks she's able to pinpoint things that are out of place. Yes, that's how it comes to me when people present an idea. Like I have like these little. Little yep. things that go off in my head, like oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, and then yeah. I instantly see all the the potential problems. I'm I'm right there with you. I I agree. I can see it too. Uh, maybe not to your degree. I don't know. I don't live in your head. 
but I, I agree, which is why I compared the two of us in that regard. Well, people see me as being negative, but I'm, it's not that I'm trying to be negative. Right. It's just that's what I instantly think of. Right. I, mean, I don't know. You can, maybe you can say I'm a glass half empty or I'm a pessimist, whatever. Well, but it's just that's how I see what, I, see the world. I don't necessarily see it that way because your intent is to help. So I don't think you're necessarily being pessimistic because your intent of pointing that stuff out is always to help. Well, and I also so, had to go the next step and instead of just pointing the stuff out, mm-hmm. I tried to also, also offer solutions. Yes. Because... Which is kind of the positive, constructive way of doing it. Well, it's it's because a lot of people don't know what to do with it. If I just point out what's wrong with it, mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, well, what do I do now? Yes. So unless they don't want my assistance, mm-hmm. if they say not, but... I will typically try to offer nowadays, mm-hmm. I try to offer a solution to whatever the problem I found. So once, once this is in relation to this, once upon a time, somebody said, I didn't ask you for your opinion. And I initially took it as a rejection moment because I offered a bit of criticism, judgment, feedback, uh, analysis of what they were doing. And they said, well, I didn't ask your opinion. And initially when they said it to me, I took that to heart and I was like, mm, fuck, I did something wrong. But then I started to look at what they said, and I realized that they're absolutely right. Don't offer until they ask. But at the same time, I started to take that as a way for me to stop people when I didn't want their opinion, when I didn't want to hear what they had to say as feedback. And I actually use it to this day that when somebody goes, you know, man, you know what I think you could do? No, I don't want to know what you think I could do. I'm good where it's at. I have to evaluate for myself if I think I did good enough. And if I'm okay with how good I did, I don't want anybody to tell me how I could do it differently. Now, if I, I think ask, it depends on the, other hand, on the situation, because I think there are some situations where um, I would give somebody feedback even if they didn't want it. Why? Um, like, like, help me understand from your point of view there. Uh, if I'm running a business and you're somebody who works with me, mm, yeah. Hold on. If hold on, I'm talking about personal interactions back and forth. I don't mean you're in a supervisor role because that is actually part of your job is to provide but, feedback. Um, so if they're not receptive to it, they should but also be you. like if we're in a group. So like if we're doing stuff for a comedy group, uh, there are times where we should give each other feedback about things because we're trying to work separate, together. I still think that's a separate because scenario. stuff that you do is going to affect me too because we're working together on something. Right. I mean, but I think in the scenario of like the comedy group. If you're um, talking about like me and the you way you dress co- yourself or something, then whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like me and you co-run that group, right? And so it's part of our job is to how do we help the group get better? Right, but I'm saying so in I those scenarios, I might give somebody feedback right. on something they did. Like if your wife did something uh-huh. and I've offered her feedback. On certain, in the comedy group as well. I've offered her feedback on certain things that yeah. she did. And it wasn't like directed towards her personally, but it was something she did. And I'm just like, right. hey, um, here's a couple things. Like I tried to give it. There's certain things too she just probably doesn't know mm-hmm. just you know, from lacking experience in certain things. Like if she's right. putting together video clips, like she doesn't have as much experience editing as right. me. So I might offer her some suggestions for mm-hmm. stuff. But that's not like, I'm not trying to be a dick to her, but I wouldn't, if she was making videos for herself, I wouldn't mention it, but she's no. making videos for us. Right, and I understand that. And I think that that's a valid point to give criticism at. Um, oh man, I had a question and I was, mm, well, that was my point is that it. those situations where you would, where it, even if somebody didn't necessarily want to hear it, I might still offer it anyway. If, if we're working on something together. Yeah. But in the, I think that those 
two, yeah, those two scenarios that you just pointed out, those two differences, I think those are moments where it's not just the expectation, but it's part of the job of working. Or even if in you're in college, in university, and you're working on a project with somebody, too. Yeah, same thing. Same idea. Um, anytime you're you're working with somebody else, and the outcome affects them. But like, if you like I to agree. paint, right? And I'm like, hey, Nick, I think your paintings can be better. Like, that's different, right? Or if, like, um, whatever your no. own personal art or something it, you work on and, yourself. And I agree. I agree. Um, doesn't mean the person doesn't have good feedback. It just means maybe you, you just don't want to hear it right now. I, don't, I, I agree with you in those situations. The problem comes in is most people think that because they have an idea in their head that they feel is better than the idea somebody else had, they have every right to say it. Well, I'm just trying to be helpful. I don't care if you're being helpful or not. Uh, I don't give a shit if you think my pants need to be ironed better or not. That doesn't fucking affect you. I don't want to hear it. And I'm not trying to be defiant to them when I say I didn't ask for your opinion, but it's also a matter of like, it's not everybody's place to critique every fucking thing everybody else is doing. And and I'm probably the worst in the fucking world at this because I look at behavior so much and because I focus on behavior as much as I do. Um, I have tendency of analyzing people. And I understand most people would be like, you shouldn't do that to your friends. You know what? It's just part of the way I think, I think it also things. depends on. But I don't always critique their behavior. Sometimes they just ask questions. Yeah, but I think it. it also depends on the person who's offering the advice. Yes. So, for that, instance. Thing too. And, and are you going to point out the example with me and you? Well, I was just going to say what you were talking about. If yeah. you're somebody who studies that stuff or knows a lot about it, mm-hmm. the other person might not want to hear it. But I guess it's not as bad as like some random Karen trying to tell somebody how they should behave who knows nothing about behavior. Uh, I agree. Or, um, you know, somebody complaining about somebody's music that they make, but Mm. they know nothing about music. Agreed. Or like, let's say I play piano and I teach piano and somebody's playing piano and I offer them some advice about playing piano. Right. Maybe they didn't want to hear the advice or I say, Hey, you know, if you tried this, it might be easier for you to Mm. do whatever on the piano. I, well, I, I actually am coming from a uh, position of expertise. Right. A position of authority. Actually. It doesn't mean that they have to listen to me or maybe I should just keep my mouth shut. Mm-hmm. But at least in those scenarios, like, mm-hmm. do you actually know what you're talking about versus yeah. somebody who is just nosy or like right. we have a lot of people in, right. in our society who are self-important and just think their opinion's important mm. no matter what, even if they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Can I expand what you just said to a different topic but related? The uh, idea of mansplaining. Oh, God. Hold on. Hold on. And I'm not, I, I completely believe It just that, means man explaining, Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know what the fuck it means. But it's the negative connotation to it. And I do believe that there are a ton of men in this world who put their fucking voices in places they should shut the fuck up. Or, or they try to explain something to somebody without even knowing if the person actually knows anything about it or not. Um, the, I agree that that's bad shit and men need to knock that shit off. But there are times, and I've been accused of mansplaining even though I do know more than that person about a certain subject. And I knew I knew more about that subject than them because I knew the person. And I went to go explain, it was a psych concept, right? And this person is not a psych person. They don't do any reading in it. They don't, none of that shit. And they they were asking a question. I was involved in the conversation. So it's not like I butted myself into it. I was involved in the group that was talking about this. And she asked a question. And I immediately started to explain the concept behind what it was. Like was it because you were info why. dumping maybe? Maybe. And so maybe it was exactly that because I think I was actually info dumping. Dude, I was hypomanic that day. I was like, I was in a manic episode. Some people might interpret talking. info dumping as mansplaining. It, they could. 
And so in this moment, or maybe info dumping is mansplaining sometimes. It, it could very well be. So we maybe need to take a second to take that into consideration for those listening. Um, like if, if I, got, I have a, uh, sorry, I just no, I was no, thinking like if my, if um, I'm trying to think of an example that's not offensive or something, well, let's say mm-hmm. I'm talking to a woman mm-hmm. about something to do with power tools and I have God. a fixation on tools. It doesn't mean she doesn't know anything about tools, but like I get excited because it's my thing and right. I want to talk about it and right. I start dumping information right. and the person that's listening to me might think that I'm assuming they don't know anything about it, but right. it's just because it's my interest. Right. Uh, and it's not that you're not, you don't think they know something about it. It's because you want to talk about it. Right. Um, Which is, this... I've been in situations where people have gotten angry or upset with me yes. because I info dumped. Yeah. But it's just because a lot of times I'm quiet. So I'll be in a lot of situ- social situations right. where I don't say shit for like three hours right. or two hours. And right. then all of a sudden a topic comes up that I'm interested in and I start info dumping. And then people might either get annoyed because they don't want to hear it. Mm. Or if it's a situation I've, I've been accused of like mansplaining just yeah. because and it's not that I'm assuming everybody knows nothing about the subject just because right. it's a topic that excites me and I want to talk about. All right. It. Like I, I know that I knew more about uh, psychology, but like specifically she was asking how come men do X in relationships. She was specifically asking that. And I actually thought, well, I'm a guy. I've been in relationships. Let me give some info, right? So I literally thought I knew more about what she wanted to talk about than she did, right? And not because I'm a guy and she's a girl, but because I'm a guy who's been in a fucking relationship, as well as I could explain it from a more psychological point of view, to a degree. But I got maybe two sentences in. Like, that's not even enough time to have any idea what the fuck I was actually talking about or trying to explain. But I got two sentences in, and she immediately puts her hand up and goes, stop mansplaining to me. And I went, what? Help me understand that because now I got all confused. And I went, uh, what, what do you mean? I'm not trying to explain something as if like because I have a penis, like I fucking know something more than you. What are you talking about? And she tried. She went on this diatribe all about how men always interject at the wrong times. I was standing there in the whole conversation with everybody else. I had already said other things before that moment. But all of a sudden, now I know that's an isolated incident that that was – her issue in that moment it could be because she felt like you were dismissing your feelings because you were trying to get scientific and, and, and yet i said i started with <clears throat> i might have an idea of why in the hell that's going on uh maybe she didn't actually want to, an answer i don't think she actually did but again that means she wanted to just issue, complain about mansplaining men. issue it's she, she just wanted to complain bitch. about dating yeah she wanted or, a bitch uh, more, more specifically, her and her husband earlier that day, and I didn't have this context at the time. A lot of times people ask rhetorical questions they don't actually want answers to. They just want to complain. Okay. This is for all non-autistic people uh, who listen to this podcast, which is probably, what, two or three of you. When, when, when you ask a rhetorical question, please remember there are autistic people in this world, and we're probably going to answer that fucking question. So maybe you might it want to say like things like she didn't want an answer. She just wanted to complain about her husband. She did. She really did. She had a fight with him earlier that day, which I didn't know about. But then, then. she took it out on you because yes, you course. were being insensitive. Yes, in because he has a penis. I have a penis. Clearly, no, she you're being insensitive because instead of just being like, yes, queen. Yeah. Let me yeah, let her yeah. bitch. You were like, well, actually. And yeah, then well, they're like, oh, you fucking man. Shut up. Yeah. Well, it also didn't help that we were all drinking, too. I get it. Because then that turned into this bigger fucking thing that took like a I week just and got a half into to be a, like, an argument the phone. other day because I was talking about data instead of focusing on how someone felt. So because they were talking about something and I was asking a question about it. And you gave them a bunch of statistics and shit from research or whatnot. Yeah. And, and they're like yeah. said I was being an asshole. And I was like, what? Yeah. I didn't get, get it. There. 
So you were talking to your partner then? No, it was somebody else. No, it was somebody online. Oh, because that's happened so I was on a, I was on a message board and they yeah. brought up the statistic and I looked it up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh God, you're talking about that moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and then yeah, I got yeah. in trouble. Yeah. And then somebody had to explain to me that I was being insensitive and I didn't understand why. Yeah. And they basically they were because I didn't I was more focused on uh, the stats that they were bringing up, even if the stats were bullshit, than mm -hmm. how the person felt. But yeah. I was saying, well, they're using a bogus yeah. statistic to justify their feelings. Right, of course they are. So it's like if you were to bring up a statistic about they're self justifying. If you no like, shit. there's this red pill one that they use. Okay. Um, red, you know, the red pill community, like the pickup artists. It's not they're not pickup artists, but like you, we've talked about this. Before. I know you got to explain the red it pill, again. like the whole man. Uh, it's kind of like MRA, men's rights activist type people. They talk about like dating. And Why are they called red pill? Because they the whole thing started with an analogy from the Matrix. Uh, like the blue pill. They say the blue pill guys are guys who are beta males who are like don't understand how the world really works. And the red pill are like guys who actually understand how things really work. Oh, because the red pill pulls you out yeah, of the yeah. Matrix. The blue pill keeps you in yeah. it. And then you have like Andrew Tate who talks about the Matrix and all this. Oh, my God. Hey, anyway, here, here, complete side conversation real quick. We'll come back to this whole explaining thing. If you were given that option, I mean this really and honestly, if you were in that moment, let's say all the Matrix shit's actually real. Let's say Andrew Tate's, uh, you know, the only guy who understands reality. If you were in the Matrix and Morpheus offered you that, for one, let's praise Lawrence Fishburne. Awesome job in that movie. But if Lawrence Fishburne came to you and said, blue pill or red pill, which one would you take? Depends. What? Like, how is that a fucking answer to what I just asked you? Uh, if I could... And go into the Matrix and do cool shit, then I'd take the red pill. If I took the... the All of them could do cool if shit. I, if I took the red pill and I had to go live in fucking Zion or whatever with a bunch of sweaty, dirty people in a cave, then I would just rather stay in the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was going with it. So I'm telling you right now, and, and people can call me a fool for this all they fucking want, but I would every day of the week take the fucking blue pill. If Morpheus showed the fuck up right now in this That's room... That's why I had a caveat. If I could yeah. go in the Matrix and like mm -hmm. do cool shit like Neo, yeah. sure, let me do it. But if if I had to stay in Zion, because yeah. not everybody went and like plugged into the Matrix to do cool shit. A lot of the people just lived in a fucking cave and were dirty. Well, people. But everybody who was allowed to go back to the Matrix could do cool shit in it. Yeah, if that's why I said if I uh, could, yeah, then I would. Oh, so if you were one of their soldier people who, if went I into could go the in the Matrix and have fun and do cool shit, then yeah. I'd take the red pill. Otherwise, I just take the blue pill because I don't want to live in this fucking dirty cave. With right, I, I don't. All the people either. underground. Yeah, yeah, but don't you want to be free? You know, and what? they dance to, they dance naked to techno and sweat. Yes, on <laughs> each other. Which, um, uh -uh. anyway. Yeah, so I would take the blue pill any day of the week because you know what? I'd rather have it taste like steak. The red pill. Imaginary. Red pill. Oh, red pill. I'm sorry. So you don't know anything about red pill stuff. It's fine. No, I don't. I have um, no idea. I forget. You made me forget what I was I'm talking so about. I'm so sorry, but I had to change the red pill. asking you that. Yes, red pill people and Andrew Tate and... Yeah, but there was a, the, my, there was a whole point to the conversation. Okay, red pill people. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, bogus statistics. That's yes, what bogus about. statistics. So there's a statistic that a lot of people in the manosphere, the red pill people talk about. Manosphere? Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know where the data comes from. I'd okay. have to look it up, but there's a stat they quote. Yeah. Which is similar to the stat that I was reading up, except the, the stat that, that these people were talking about was about men. It made men look bad. Oh, okay. This stat makes women look bad. Oh. It says like something along the lines of like 70 to 90% of divorces are initiated mm -hmm. by women. Although okay. it doesn't say the reasons why, because I'm sure there's so even, the, even if, even if it is 70 to 90% of divorces yeah, initiated yeah. by women, 
it doesn't mean that those are unjustified or there's not good reasons for right. them initiating divorce. But anyway, they use that number to point out, oh, well, men can't trust women because they're just going to divorce you and take half your money and all this stuff. So, yeah, but that didn't. Well, I'm saying that that's a, an example of they use a statistic to justify right. their feelings or their bias against women. So yeah, people do that. The instance, the instance that I was involved in was yeah. these women basically saying how horrible men are, and they used a study to justify that men were horrible. Right. And the study was um, basically the the results of the study it was like 500 people mm -hmm. involved in the study, and it was from the early 2000s, mm -hmm. and it was showing that men were six times more likely to leave their spouse if they got terminally ill than okay. the other way around. Okay. So it was. Um, so you had a. Um, well, I think it was something. It was something like that, like sixty percent more likely, so yeah. six times more likely. So, whatever. so basically, and I didn't read that research at all. Basically, what it sounds like is of the people that they surveyed that were men and women who stuck with and or left their partners, right. men just ended up leaving more often. Right. And to me, that doesn't say anything about the general population. But they were saying that men. That means that um, that the, they were talking about somebody who was uh, had cancer. Yeah. And the husband was had a mistress or something. So like the woman was really sick. Uh -huh. She was dying and she went and I guess she found uh, – the husband found a mistress because right. he didn't find the wife attractive anymore. Yeah, or whatever. He's, yep. He didn't leave her, but he, he – and he, I guess he was up front with her and told her. Okay. And I guess she didn't know how she felt about it. All right. But it wasn't her. It was in the comments people were talking about. Yeah. Well, men are trash and men are this and blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah. And then somebody – a bunch of people kept listing that study. Right. And I'm like, what is this study they're talking about? So I went and yeah. looked it up. And then I had to defend myself because I never said like, oh, that like I I actually said in my comment, like, oh, that's really shitty that someone would do that to you mm -hmm. and that somebody would do that to their partner. And I was like, but I was curious about the study people keep mentioning. I looked it up and then I pointed out, well, like there was, it's only 500 people. Yeah. And then somebody said, well, that's a good enough sample size for it, social studies. It, it, it is actually. And, it's like, yeah, but it's one study right. from data from 20 years ago. And right. all I said, I didn't even say it was wrong. I just said, I wonder what the results would look like if we had more data yes. and if we had newer data. Right. I never said it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Men aren't shit. I never right. said like that men aren't shittier or that I was like, maybe men are two times more likely, three times more likely. Yeah. I said, all I said was I thought six times more likely seemed a little high. And it, and it could be because you're not somebody who would necessarily leave their partner if they got terminally ill. So maybe that number seems But just me higher. questioning it, they they were yeah, of offended course. because they thought that I was um, diminishing their feelings about it. Right. Because questioning the, the study itself didn't matter, That even right. though a bunch of them were referencing it. It was just that how they felt about it. Right. Well, they and already I didn't, believe men are shit. So when they have information that does that says men are shit, yeah. they immediately go, And I didn't even say that. that men aren't worse. I said maybe it's maybe it's three times, four times. I just, yeah. All I said was the six times seemed mm. extreme to me. So that's why I looked so, it up. I was like, that seems crazy that men would be six times more likely to leave their wife. So here, here's something I want to point out too. That only said the likelihood a man would leave. Yeah. What about the study on the other side of that is what's the likelihood which, which one of them, male or female, are most likely to stay. Well, the women were. I mean, the thing only said. Yeah, but that it had, men there was are more, more likely to. There leave. was more information in the study. Oh, too. there was. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought that's all the study was was the likelihood. No, of but the the part of it that people kept quoting uh, is, is that men part? were six okay. times more likely or whatever to leave. Right. Okay. Based on this one study from twenty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Based on old information. Which I said maybe it's true, but I just the only part I was questioning was the yeah. six times that seemed. Right. 
extremely high. Well, what what country was the study from? U.S. Okay, so if they did it in England, Ireland, Germany, Europe, South of Africa, Brazil, would the numbers change? I don't know. Maybe we don't know that, but they're all magnifying thought, it. To but all they men. were they were upset with me for being fixated on yeah, the study course. instead of like. And but I even though I had pointed out like, well, that person's shitty for doing this. Yeah, yeah. These guys are shitty for doing. Even this. Even though you agreed with them, yeah, they still. I just said that I thought it was that number seemed really high to me. Right. And and honestly, like that that's the unfortunate part is all they saw is that you're a guy and immediately thought you were defending men, even though you weren't defending anyone. No. But they assumed I was just their saying, own ignorance. I was of just saying I, the numbers may not be as bad as what it seems. Right. I, I don't think that I this is my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. I don't have any re, I don't have any data to back it up because sure. the only data we have is this one study that I found. Right. I don't I don't think it's six times more. I, maybe men are more likely to leave, but I think six seems a little high. Six times more likely seems a little I high. I agree. I agree. Like, I don't like think I most said, men would just leave their wives if they were sick. Like I said, if you take And I have this, anecdotal stories of yeah. men who have had wives who had cancer or were sick and didn't leave them. Me too. It's anecdotal, but like yeah. I said, we have one study from right. 20 years ago. So. Right. I mean, I, I guarantee that if we – and I, I'm only saying I guarantee just purely out of my own hope to God that it's true – but I, I'm going to say it again. I guarantee that if we take that exact same study and do that, run that exact same study in an assortment of different countries worldwide, I don't think we're going to have that same number. I think each one of those countries is going to be different because some of that I think is cultural, social uh, uh, conditioning. Or, or I would also think learning. it's probably much more likely that both partners might cheat if they're partners. Yes. Um, hey, did you know sick. women are less likely? I read this fucking once, by the way. Women are actually less likely to uh, report or acknowledge that they cheated on their partner. Men are actually more likely to report that they cheated on their partner. Yeah. I mean, and, well. And also the definitions of cheating are very different between men and women. Uh, the definitions of cheating are also different depending on where you live. Because I, yes, I was reading true, something true. about like Europe. In Europe, um, people, a lot of things that Americans see as cheating is yes. not considered cheating over there. In most of the rest of the world, Like actually. if you are at a wedding mm -hmm. and you're there with your boyfriend, mm -hmm. Right. And you're the girlfriend and you go and dance with some guys. Maybe you're grinding on them, whatever. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys in America might not be comfortable with that. Right. Whereas Europe, they don't give a shit. No, don't give a in shit Most countries all. in Europe, they're more loose when it comes to that kind of stuff. You know, in French, in France, to the best of my knowledge, and I'm pretty ignorant about most other cultures, uh, in France, they kiss each other on the cheeks. Yeah. Like in this country, if a dude kissed a woman on the cheek, the other guy is going to be a little jealous about it. I think like, we're a little uh, more prudish with that kind of stuff right. or a little more jealous we we really uptight about fucking affection but also we really are and this this um i think this is changing with the younger generations mm -hmm. but when men and women usually cheat for different reasons you think it's for different reasons i think that because i think it's for the exact same reason both times i i feel it as it is i think that uh the younger generations mm -hmm. that women are much more likely to just have an affair just for sex so Whereas you, men say that again for me. I'm I, saying I that I misheard you. Younger generations yes. of women, yes, like Gen Gen Z millennials, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, are much more likely to just have casual sex or cheating without having a strong emotional bond. Okay. Whereas typically in the past, uh, when women cheated on their spouses, yes, it was more because they weren't uh, receiving some type of emotional need they were being like uh they felt like they weren't being so the, the stereotype is right uh couples in a relationship man uh -huh. goes off in the military she's by herself she right. feels neglected right she goes and sleeps with somebody else right 
because she feels like she's not counting that mead net. Right. Not necessarily sleeping, but she wants she wants a connection with somebody else. Right. Now you could say, well, sex is a connection, yes, but men a lot of times men will will cheat just to for the physical aspect of it, and they don't necessarily care about the emotional connection. So I don't see I. I actually believe this, um, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I have no fucking clue if I'm right or wrong. I've never, I've never. But like I was saying, couples all that much. I think younger women will. What? Oh, I said, but I was yeah, like, I was yeah. saying is that I think younger women are much more likely to just have a fling without the emotional connection I, because the I society has changed when it comes to sex. So like younger has. women feel much more comfortable just having casual sex. I think outside of relationship, that's exactly true. Um, I feel. And this is just my opinion, not truly based on like a research fucking read or none of that shit or asking thousands of people or anything like that. Just from what I've observed and from what I what I know from anecdotal stories of talking to people and reading about it. I really believe that both men and women cheat for the exact same reason. I think that all of the other things that we say around it are our observations of why. I think men and women cheat for the same reason. And it's needs met. But I'm not saying it's the other person's fault at all. I'm saying it's their fault. The person who cheated, it's their fault internally. They do not feel loved and accepted by themselves, let alone their partner. So even if their partner is the best fucking person in the world, because they already have a lack and insecurity, a, a lack of self-worth, if you will, a lack of feeling whole in themselves, they have to go get the validation externally. And I don't think a partner can give them that level of validation, that level of acceptance on their own. But sometimes people just want to have sex with other people. I, I don't think that that is true. There's, I think that's, that's I, plenty true. There's lots of poly couples who have sex because they, they don't want to just have sex with one person. They want to be able to have sex with other people. So they go into a relationship knowing that they're going to be okay with that because they don't want to have to cheat. So I'm not saying this for all poly people because I can't speak for them, but I know for the couple of people that I know that are in poly relationships, it's sorry. I, I didn't mean poly. I meant open relationships. Sorry. So I'm going to say the same thing because I, I I'm talking about people who don't have a poly couple where they have multiple people in the relationship. The relationship so like is fucking swingers kind of but not exactly yes okay um so like for i know this couple who is a, a man and a woman uh-huh and they're married but they're both allowed to sleep with other people but we're talking about cheating we're not talking about agreements right, you, and a relationship of right right but i was saying you were saying that you thought that they were cheating because their meads aren't net yes i'm saying sometimes people just want to have sex with other people i but i think there's a perceptual and a definitional difference between having an open relationship where both of you identify that it's cool to hang out with other folk. But, but that, but that, primary, that desire is still different. there to have sex with other people. But they're already getting their needs met emotionally though. Right. And they're fucking other people. I'm talking right, about because they went, they married each other Steve. saying, Hey, it's okay if we, yeah, yeah, but I'm talking people. about in cheating scenarios. Right. I'm talking about some of those people being in in the agreement of a monogamous relationship and then somebody goes out and cheats. Right. Plus, I'm talking about from people that I know who have cheated on their spouses or their partners. And I've talked to them about it from reading some stuff. Okay, Not necessarily research papers, but just, you know, people's stories and shit. Um, A lot of the times they don't. They they say my partner cheated on me because they wanted uh, a younger model or because their their partner was an asshole or something. But while I'm talking to them or while I'm reading it, it it makes more sense that they're talking about how they themselves did not feel satisfied in the relationship. 
So when it comes to an open relationship, you're making an agreement with the other person you're involved with that y'all can go fuck other people. Yeah. And so you, I only brought that up as a, as an example of people wanting to have sex with outside of their relationship that, so I'm saying if the desire is there, when they have the agreement, maybe the desire is also there, even if they don't have the agreement, if the guy goes into a relationship and agrees to be monogamous, but he actually does want to sleep with other people, but he breaks, maybe he's tempted and he ends up doing it. That doesn't necessarily mean that his, his emotional needs, maybe it's his sexual needs aren't being met, but maybe his sexual needs are, he wants to be able to sleep with other people. Yeah, but maybe his sexual needs are being motivated by a internal desire to have people like it. I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but I also the reasons, think there's a I don't think the reasons between, are always super deep. I think sometimes it's just they want to fucking spread their seed around. You know what? If you're 21 and you're, you're uh, a single human being and you fuck a thousand people in a week, I agree to that statement. But I also think that there is something internally motivating you to want to sleep with that many more people. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly believe that there's more to it than just, I want to fuck like I, and anytime I talk to somebody about sex, about their sex life, about all the partners they've had, why I'm not saying that a single partner, eventually it always comes down to that. They were seeking some level of value. I'm not saying that that's seeking some level of uh, affection. I'm not saying that that's not, um, a good majority of it. I'm just saying that I think that that's not. Like, all the I, case. I didn't say everybody. Like, at what point have I You said I that ever... that's based on your experience. And all I was saying is that I think that sometimes people just want to have sex. Right, right, but that's why I said based on what I know, not based on, like, some research fucking shit, not based on, like, having well, a thousand conversations Nicholas. with people. I have a very limited experience in life. I've been alive for 42 years, and maybe I've met a couple hundred thousand people, but I haven't talked about their sex hey, lives. Nicholas. So, so we got way off topic. We really fucking did. That. Well, kind of. I, I want to I I tie all this together. I want to work going about a minute, an hour and 30 here. I just want to wrap <gasps> things up. So. Um, hour 33 hours, whatever. You know what? If Joe Rogan we, can have a conversation for three hours, why can't we? Because we're not as interesting. That is absolutely true. Okay. <laughs> if I started doing MMA and eating nothing but elk meat, then you can we can have a three hour long podcast. We're, okay. All right. So I'm going to go so, start hunting elk. Yes. And I'll make you some elk steaks and then yes. we can do three hours. And, and I do do my karate twice okay. a week. So, so you, you do the karate, I'll do the elk meat. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. then we can sell Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens? That's a product that he oh. endorses. Oh, all right. Yeah. All right. AG1. By the way, we're not making fun of Joe Rogan by any means whatsoever. This dude actually likes your show quite a bit. And I, your show is too long for me to actually Even though he is... Guess that people don't like sometimes. That's okay, though. You know what? All conversation needs to be had. I'm oh. down for talking to people that I don't agree with. Me so. too. Me too. Anyway, um, yeah. So it's been a it's been a wonderful show. We talked about public displays of affection. Which, we talked uh, about rads, radiation, and we, we talked about being rejected, which Nick knows a lot about. I do actually. He still gets rejected to this yeah. day. Um, um, I actually, um, and I don't know if this is good or bad, you know, psychologically speaking, but I actually try to set myself up in my head with an expectation of, I will be rejected up front. And it actually, for me, at least it makes way more sense. And it allows me to deal with a lot of situations that I normally would try to avoid, um, because of the worry of people liking me or not. I immediately just say, everybody's not going to like me to begin with. And it's so much easier to deal with. It that's, is. That's, that's me. So hot in here. It is so hot in here. I'm sweating. All right. Um, so it was, a, it was a great show. I thought so. Yeah. We'll see you guys so. next week. We'll have some, we have some great guests coming up soon. Yes, we some do. Some exciting guests. We're Ooh. not going to tell you now. No, we'll we're be not. a surprise. Ooh. Um, 
If you liked what we said today, if you didn't like what we said today, if you've got comments, questions, or if you think Steve is sexist, please leave a comment. Please interact with us on any social media service because I do want to reiterate, you are actually talking to me or Steve. So put it out there. Talk to us. Let us know what's going on. And I feel, oh, oh, last thing I'm going to say. Last thing, I promise, is the last thing I'm going to fucking say. Jesus Christ. I want to point out that Steve actually did set up our website, and he is the one who is writing the blog. Please go and read it. Please respond with him. Talk with him. Um, It's his point of view, and please uh, go and check it out. Thank you. All right. I'll probably have another post up this week. I have an idea. I just haven't actually had time to sit down and write it yet. I want to make sure we're advertising it because it is your fucking thing, man. Okay. I'll put the link I'll put a link to the blog in the yeah. description of the episode. All right. All right. Thanks you you very much. Week. Bye. Bye.